Hello, everyone, and to another interview for the site. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dalton Rasta, who is a up-and-coming Bellator light heavyweight. Uh, first of all, Dalton, thank you so much for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Everyone is safe and healthy. Yes, we are. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, before we jump into it, make sure you go check out thefightsite.com. You'll be treated to just a plethora of fantastic articles, breakdowns uh, by fantastic analysts. Definitely go check it out. Make sure you check us out on Patreon, which you can directly support us. It does help us out a lot. You get access to exclusive content, the Discord channel. You can ask for video content and specific articles and and interviews that aren't necessarily available to the general public. Uh, Definitely check out the merchandise website. You can check it out on the YouTube. On YouTube, there's links to the merchandise as well as going to the Fight Site uh, website, and you can check us out there. Uh, fantastic merchandise! I actually have a bunch of it. It's really good quality. Definitely check us out. It really helps us. Uh, follow us on on Twitter. Make sure you check us out on YouTube. Like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. And on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher, make sure you give us a five star review. And with all that out of the way for both of us. I would definitely like to talk to you about your background because uh, when I was, you know, doing a little research and reading up, uh, you know, you were you've done a lot of combat sports growing up and uh, wrestling. Obviously, you did some boxing and obviously you got into jujitsu. I want you to talk to me about your your journey. You've always had an affinity and a love of competing. So talk to us about that. What made you get into martial arts in the first place, and what was the journey to get to where you are starting MMA? Um. I mean, whenever I was a kid growing up, um, me and my brother would just always, like, wrestle around and stuff in the house, and my dad decided to get us into uh, wrestling, and um, that was probably when we were, like, six years old. Uh, my brother stuck with it for a while. I actually got out of it, and I, I mean, I always had, like, a love for combat sports, and I was always in big into combat, whether it was just sports or like um, like gladiator movies or you know the movie Troy or 300 all that stuff all that stuff always intrigued me so um, I was always, I always gravitated toward gravita gravitated towards stuff like that um, I, I got back into boxing when I was like 11 years old and did that off and on all, all the way throughout high school and then got back into it full-time after college um, Jiu-jitsu, I got back into around age thirteen. I got into around age thirteen. Did around, did the same thing, off and on. And uh, the only reason I was off and on with those two once high school started is because I was more dedicated toward uh, like football and wrestling. And mm -hmm. I was wrestling year round, uh, playing football during the season. Obviously, like doing all my lifting and stuff during football year round as well. But uh, that also helped with the wrestling, and. Uh, on days I didn't have wrestling practice in the off season, I would do jujitsu and boxing. I just wouldn't do them during football or wrestling season. And then uh, I went to Seton Hill to wrestle, and I ended up transferring to Youngstown State to play football. After I got hurt from there my sophomore year, that's whenever I got back in MMA full time, which was uh, a little over four years ago. And uh, once I started back up. I mean, everything just clicked, and uh, we got the ball rolling really quickly. We got our amateur debut in 2017, or beginning of 2017, like early, and within 18 months, I uh, turned pro, and uh, now I'm with Bellator. 
Yeah, and you're uh, currently two and zero with uh, Bellator. You were seven and zero as an amateur, if I'm not mistaken. You had uh, your every single one of your fights is via finish. Um, with regards to, uh, but I do want to ask you a quick question with regard to wrestling because I've, I've 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 been wondering because I'm a jiu-jitsu guy. I have no wrestling background because my parents hated me, so I had to just go to jiu-jitsu after I became an adult. Um, so, did jiu-jitsu? Did, were you able to integrate your jiu-jitsu training with your wrestling while you were wrestling on the mats? Me personally, no. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I didn't have that thorough of an understanding of jujitsu back then, okay. uh, I believe there's certain things that definitely uh, help from jujitsu that will help you with your wrestling. But I didn't have, like I said, as extensive of uh, understanding or as much knowledge as I do about it now back then. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I didn't use it really with my wrestling. My wrestling was strictly just wrestling based, and. Uh, if anything, I use my wrestling more with my jujitsu than anything with my uh, my top game, my top pressure. Everything uh, translated very well. Yes, and I actually wanted to, to to talk to you about that because it's something that uh, um, I think if you uh, you know people who watch the sport a lot, when there's a young wrestler in you know in MMA and they don't necessarily once they get top control, they'll do everything they can to keep it at all times, no matter what even if they're not necessarily at a good advantageous position to do so. And specifically in your last fight, I was watching and you were willing to give up bad spots and not force the wrestling if you didn't feel comfortable doing that. And I'm probably jumping ahead, but I wanted to know, is that something, is that just a comfort level for you? Or do you just, or is that something like you specifically said, like you recognize when the spots are not necessarily good for you and disengage to, to reset? I'm going to go ahead and guess that you were talking about when he climbed the cage with his feet and yes. grabbed the hold of my leg, and I probably could have got back on top of him, but I pulled out, pulled my leg out, and yeah. got back to my feet. Yes. Uh, that, that first scramble right there, uh, like some, that he was an unorthodox striker, and I wanted to keep yes. it striking, but because of the way he was he was moving and like the way he did things, like I said, it was unorthodox. Um, I, I just threw that first takedown in there just to like kind of like throw him off his game a little bit. I wanted to keep it standing. So um, whenever that scramble started, I was like, ah, I'll just I'll just get back up to our feet. That's where I want to be anyways. And then um, if I believe you're talking the, the other, from my recollection, uh, whenever he got me in a Kimura in the second round, where instead of just staying on top and trying to pressure him, I actually rolled to my back across yep. his body and then ended up coming back on top, but I gave up the position right away to get out of it. Is mm-hmm. that, but yeah, I, uh, I mean, that, that, that comes just from knowledge of jiu-jitsu as well. Um, there, there was a good chance that if I didn't do that, he probably could have had that Kimura. Uh, I was being a little bit lazy with that, that front arm. I'm usually, actually in training, I usually, I usually bait people to take that. And then I'll sit across for the armbar, but I was uh, I was a little tired in that second round, in that fight. Um, I I uh, was putting a lot of pressure on him, uh, had a lot of offense and stuff. So it's only natural for you to get tired. But I was a little bit more tired than I usually am, and uh, I didn't sit for that armbar. So I kind of put myself in a bad position, and I had to like resort to uh, that roll to get out of it. I had to give up that position, but uh, I ended up getting it back anyways. 
that's yeah both of those were actually the two specific instances that i was thinking of off the top of my head but even i want to even add that even in some of the clinch exchanges across uh, on the fence you were you shot some takedowns and pushed them up and then you you separated when you weren't able to get the takedown right away um which is a good thing because you weren't essentially just expending energy for nothing um another question i have is uh you, you were actually using a, a pretty good jab uh both to the body and to the head and keeping it long range you were dipping off to the side and parrying as he countered with his own jab uh this specifically in the second round was that to try and maybe keep it just at range and lower pace to try and regain some energy uh in the second round yes in the first round when i was doing it i i have more my style is more of a uh in and out style i mm -hmm. i'm usually a lot quicker then a lot of my opponents more explosive, so I'm able to get in and out, maybe throw like one or two punches before they're able to counter with one, and I'm usually out of range for theirs. Um, it, it works a lot for me in sparring and in my fights. But like I said, with his unorthodox style, every time he threw something, he he also had long arms. He would just stick something back out there, like whether he planned on having it hit or not. And it, everything was straight up the pipe with him. He didn't throw anything from any angles. He didn't throw any hooks or anything everything was just straight one two and then he would throw these wild kicks at the same time as he was punching so it was like it, it was very unorthodox and he was stiff and a little awkward so instead of like coming straight in with my one two and either coming up or taking off an angle right after the one two like i do a lot i was having to actually take my head off the center line when i was throwing my jab instead of mm -hmm. getting behind my jab so i was dipping off to the right hand side when I was throwing my jab to land the jab and get out of the way of his, it also took away my right-hand counter and uh, a, a little bit of the offense I could have followed up with because I did that. But that was all to get out of the way of his jab. So, like I said, that was, like, one of the things that he did that was a little unorthodox that, like, mm -hmm. took me away from my style a little bit. And uh, I had to adjust to that. So that that was the adjustment that I made and the adjustment that I seen right away. And... Uh, it, like I said, it took me away from my style a little bit, but I I, uh, I figured it out and um, I ended up using it to my advantage. That's pretty interesting. And it's good to see someone at your age making those adjustments in fight when thrown. Because I know that that wasn't supposed to be your original opponent in the first place anyway. So mm -hmm. to make an adjustment after having an opponent changes is a good is definitely a good thing uh and i want to talk to you about more in general training as a whole what is um uh, your style in terms of uh at the gym itself how do you approach uh training the different aspects do you train kind of just like mma all the time or do you split it between the different uh arts i guess jujitsu and boxing and wrestling uh and what is the philosophy in general from your coaches towards training as well um I usually mix like the wrestling and the uh, jujitsu together, and then I do boxing on its own as well, and then come together a couple times a week to mix everything together. And I do some uh, kickboxing on its own as well. So I do everything separately, but a couple days a week come together, mix everything up, get some MMA sparring in. And mm -hmm. uh, when I'm sparring, I actually um, I do a lot more striking than I do wrestling. And uh, a lot of the time, my coaches will try to get me to mix in some shots and stuff in my sparring. And I just, for some reason, whenever I'm I'm sparring and I'm fighting, I just don't want to. I just I, I enjoy striking more. 
and I absolutely won't resort to the wrestling unless I have to, have to or unless it's going to help open up my striking even more. So it's one of those things where I use it as a tool more as more than a necessity. And what's the, uh, I'm curious, what is the sparring philosophy in the gym itself? Are you more of a hard sparring type of person? Because for younger fighters, generally, it seems to lean, there's a lot more hard sparring. And as once you get more comfortable, you already have all the experience, it's less, it shifts away. So at the moment, are you doing, well, not at the moment, because I'm not sure what the situation is in Pennsylvania with the pandemic, which is going to be a question, but in general, are you, do you do a significant amount of harder sparring or is it, is there more of a focus on the technical aspect with a smaller amount of hard sparring? Uh, we do a little bit of both, but I prefer hard sparring. Mm-hmm. Reason, reason being is because it simulates the fight, obviously. Of course. And it, um, that's whenever you get your timing down and you get a realistic feel and look for what you're actually seeing, what you're actually trying to accomplish, and you're building on top of what the, the base that you already have. Slow sparring or light sparring, as a lot of people call it, or flowing. I, I, I'm not a fan of that because if your skill level is above that of your sparring partners, you actually have to slow it down a lot more than they do for them to get the sense of the field that you're flowing or light sparring with them. If you're, if you're too far ahead of them skill-wise and you're going at the same pace as they are, then a lot of people, it comes across to a lot of people that you're just trying to fuck them up or you're just trying to... Mm-hmm like whoop their ass and that's that's not how it is usually and you're just moving around just like they are and then you get a lot of people pissed off or a lot of people say it it's that that's something i i don't i actually actually do not like light sparring at all and i think it has very little effectiveness for progressing uh technique or your conditioning i mean i I, I, i'm just not a believer in it everybody has their own beliefs i'm not my, my one of my coaches believes in it and uh, mainly because of like the longevity of your career and trying to preserve everything but uh, I'm not a believer in it for progressing and getting to where I need to be totally understand and actually that actually was going to be a reason to another question of mine is you know we've spoken to uh, I've spoken to a bunch of different coaches like uh, the, the elevation fight team coaches spoken to Pedro Hizzo and a couple of different and Stephen Wright recently. And, you know, every coach has kind of different philosophies when it comes to training their fighters and how they develop them. Uh, what is uh, the, the mentality with regard to fighter input, both for yourself, I guess, and as a general rule with your coaches? Is it the coaches set the curriculum and you follow it or do they specifically watch tape with you and, and you guys come together with game plans? How much input do you have in your own uh, instruction, I guess, is the best way of phrasing the question itself. I mean, my coaches know more than I do. That's why they're my right. So, of course, um, I follow what they tell me to do, and mm-hmm. uh, but they 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 let me give my input and let me right. th- tell them like what I feel is best or um, how I can mix in like what I feel is best with what they feel is best. So there's like a you know, we come, we come to like an, a little agreement or a compromise on something and we, we mix everything together. And uh, I mean, I think it's a, a thing where I know my body best and then they know what's going to make me better best. And they, mm-hmm. like I said, they have more knowledge than me. So I think it's a combination of everything, bringing it all together and understanding us as a team as a whole. 
uh, get better. Right. Yeah, that 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 I would say of the three I mentioned that fits more into the I guess the Stephen Wright uh, style than it seems as opposed to the Hizo or some of the EFT stuff. So um, my, my next question is, I guess, with regards to the pandemic, you have an upcoming fight in, uh, uh, this week, this weekend uh, at Bellator. I think it's 243, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, how has your training been recently um, with everything that's been going on? And how have you been able to prepare? What have you had to change? Obviously, I'm sure there are things you've had to change. So can you tell us about the camp, I guess? Well, the camp was only essentially two weeks. I got the, yeah. I got the fight on uh, two weeks notice. So, I mean, it wasn't really much of a camp, but I was training two to three times a day all year round, even during the pan pandemic. Like when everything shut down for like the first week, you know, everybody was scared. I mean, there was regulations put in place in certain counties. Certain counties were allowed to operate before others. Um, some gyms didn't have to shut down. Uh, and we, we figured out ways to train whether it be like at first it wasn't the gym like right. whether we needed a park or somewhere and hit pads or uh just you know shadow boxing and then like rolling in mats in one of my friends basements or hitting a bag going to a gym by yourself and hitting hitting a heavy bag or whatever there we found ways to get better we watched film uh stayed in shape just stuff like that so at first uh, we we're just trying to find ways to train with the cards we were dealt. But uh, when everything started opening up, it was it was full go two three times a day, every single day. And uh, yeah, so whenever I got the news, uh, they were, they asked me if I was ready to fight. Could could I fight August seventh, which is like two weeks out? And whenever mm -hmm. they asked me, and I was like, yeah, I'm ready. They're like, can you make five, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you make eighty five. I was like two, I was like two hundred and ten pounds whenever they asked me, maybe a little tiny bit heavier, but uh, I started dieting, got down to 190 something pounds. And mm -hmm. I'm sitting that, uh, I, I woke up this morning a little bit heavier than usual, but I, I've been sitting around at about 195 pounds. And mm -hmm. after my workout this morning, I was 191 point something. All right. So, uh, I guess the next question is, I guess, for the future, because your upcoming fight. So first of all, for your upcoming fight, uh, how much tape were you able to find? Because I don't know. I don't think he has such an extensive record. So was there really tape for you to analyze? If yes, you know, uh, actually, no, don't t obviously don't tell the game plan. But uh, what have you spotted some things if you did find tape that you can exploit and take advantage of? Um, I, I, I found like three videos. I only watched like one of them, if I'm going to be honest myself. Sure. I, uh, I watched, it, I think it was the very first video that I found and he won by armbar. Mm -hmm. So I, I watched that video and, uh, from the, and I, I believe I actually watched like the first, like 30 seconds of another video and he did the same exact thing he did to get it to the ground in the first video. So I was just right away. I was like, uh, he does the same thing. It seems like a one trick, one trick pony. He's just going to sure. try and take me down and uh, grapple with me. And uh, I've seen he had a few or submission finishes. I think he finished every fight he's fought. And then uh, he got finished in his one loss. So mm -hmm. he never went the distance. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm expecting him to try to take me down. And uh, I mean, that's going to be very hard for him to do. 
Yeah, he, yeah. He, has very, he has very slim chance of that happening. So um, the way I see it is he's going to try, he's going to fail, and then he's going to panic. And uh, <laughs> then I'm going to finish him. And moving uh, past this, I'm, I'm, I'm always curious, you know, especially when I talk to somebody who's a little bit younger in their career, um, what is the, the, there are certain fighters who tend to try and, I guess, go as far and fast as quickly as possible. They'll take, you know, they won't take their time coming up to build their skills and, and to kind of grow their skill set. They'll try and take the biggest challenge possible as quickly as possible. Um, is that your mindset as well? Or do you want to, to fight people who maybe are going to be similar records and similar uh, time spent in the sport while you develop your skill sets and maybe take a slower approach until you get to the, to the I guess, more the elite of the division in terms of names? Um, as for, or, like, opponents, I don't really choose them at the moment. Sure. Bellator is the promoter they choose them. I had a couple sure. opponents offered to me before this that I accepted, and they didn't. Uh, the one kid was 3-0 and in a black belt in uh, jiu-jitsu, so he was a pretty game opponent and would look very good for my resume, and sure. I accepted that fight. And uh, he, all of his wins were by finish. He was undefeated as amateur, undefeated as a pro, and like I said, black belt. So uh, after I would finish him, it would look really good. But he said no. And then they asked the next guy who was also really good. He was athletic. And uh, he said no. And pretty much that, that was the story until they found this guy. And uh, this guy, I, I, I'd be, I wouldn't be – telling the truth if I said he was as skilled as other guys he's not this other guys were more skilled and I was wishing they would have said yes but I mean this guy's no no one to uh underestimate or anything I mean he's a game pony he's a professional fighter every professional fighter is professional for a reason he's one and one he has a, a finish um under his name he's undefeated as an amateur too so um any anybody anybody can be good so we're not taking him lightly and uh I I mean, I plan on just like any of the other guys that I, I said yes to that they ended up saying no. I plan on finishing him and finishing him early. And uh, hopefully after this, I can start um, getting some bigger names in the promotion <laughs> to uh, not only build my uh, skill set even further, but build my notoriety as well. Absolutely. And do you plan on sticking at 185 or you're going to kind of, I guess, go up to 205 or uh, what is your plan, I guess, for the division of choice? No, I was at 205 before this. Uh, this is going to be my first fight as a pro at 185, so sure. I'm going to stick here after this. So, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't a big 205-pounder, and mm -hmm. uh, the 185-pound cut's pretty easy for me, so um, this is where I'm going to stick. And with regard to your actual style and its development, you, we, you mentioned earlier that you're that I guess you would be defined as an outfighter all the way in or all the way out. Uh, what kind of uh, do you have fighters that you look at that you try and pick things from and emulate with that style, specifically from a wrestling background, or is it kind of just what you you're just sticking with whatever your whatever your camp and coaches do? Do you try to analyze fighters that you see have similar styles and what works and what doesn't? Yes, I uh, I pick things from fighters all the time. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, whenever your goal is to be the the best in the world in your weight class, best in the world, period, whatever, you watch these guys that are at the top of the division, 
and mm-hmm. when when you're watching somebody do something in a fight and it works against and let's say john jones is doing something and like a spinning elbow in a fight off a cage against the number one contender in the 205 pound weight class in the world you're looking at two top guys in the world and if john jones is doing it and it's landing on the other top guy in the world why can't i do it you know it's working at the highest level so i come into practice after i see something like that like a spinning elbow off a cage and like whenever we're we're doing our MMA drills and everything and we're doing our striking and transitioning from wrestling to striking, I'll try it out at practice. I'll show my coach. I'll, I'll do it on pads, see what we think. It, we'll try it in sparring. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And uh, mm-hmm. I, if you watch my last fight, I landed a spinning elbow on Claude Wilcox against the cage. Yep. I had him elbowed up against the cage, and I stepped off and landed a spinning elbow as he was trying to circle out. And uh, I, I watched John Jones do that. That's where I learned it from. Um, I, I feel like my style, especially that, that fight, like I said, I had to change things. I changed my game plan a little bit, which I don't plan on doing this fight at all. Um, because that kid was unorthodox, I had to change my style up a little bit. Right. And, uh, my normal style is to walk guys down and put pressure on them until they fold and then finish them. And I feel like my style in that respect is a lot, uh, is a lot similar to like Paulo Costa's mm-hmm. in UFC at the 185 pound division. So I watch, I watch a lot of Paulo Costa and see what he does, walking guys down, uh, getting their backs against the cage and starting loading on them against the cage. Um, mm-hmm. I, I pick some things from him as well. And uh, they're, they're, they're just, there's just a lot of things. Like whenever Conor McGregor fought Cerrone and he started throwing those, those shoulder strikes in the sure. clinch, I've never seen anybody do that. I did it a few times sparring. You know, just see if it works. And it was just something that simple that you never thought of. And you could throw it, and it works. And it landed in, strike, in sparring. I mean, just stuff like that all the time. I pick up little things that just keep, keeps improving my game and keeps mm-hmm. adding on to it. And uh, I feel like I'm, I'm a way different fighter than I was last year. I fought 10 months ago. And I'm, I feel like I would have improved a lot quicker, and I would have improved even further if they kept me active and I was fighting and constantly improving on the mistakes that I've noticed during the fight. Even when I win, I mm-hmm. hit the mistakes that I made, and me and my coaches, and we go and improve them. And uh, I feel like I would improve faster like that. But even in this 10-month layoff, there, there's a lot of stuff that I got to work on, a lot of stuff that I learned I was able to integrate into my training. And uh, I feel like I'm a completely different fighter this year. Um, and I get with it's it's interesting that you brought up Paul Acosta because that was actually one of the things that when I watched some of your early I watched a couple of your amateur fights and then I watched the Wilcox side it was a completely different like you said you had to adjust mid fight to a different style which is impressive in its own right but you definitely were a pressure fighter in mindset and in the way you approached those fights and bringing up Paul Acosta is a really good analog because like you said he's a pressure fighter he does a lot of his work against the cage where he lands these really just vicious combinations. Uh, so when you're when you're trying to pull stuff from a pressure fighter, uh, how much, uh, a lot of the people don't, who, who watch pressure fighters, I guess a good example in my opinion would be Kelvin Gastelum, who wants to pressure people but doesn't necessarily display the footwork like someone like Costa, who's also trying to pressure people but is able to cut off the cage. And is that something that you're putting a lot of focus on as well in addition to just, I guess, from the waist up? I guess, but people sometimes forget the footwork. Yeah, uh, the footwork's definitely important, but Paulo Costa, it's easier for him than Gotham because he's just a big sure. guy. Sure, of course. More intimidating, more power in his strikes. 
it, it makes somebody back up. You got you can't just walk at somebody and expect them to move back. You have Correct. to have you have to have some power behind your strikes. You have to have some mm-hmm. snap in your shots, and you the footwork's definitely important. But you have to have a reason to make them back up. Like they have to, you have to make them want to get out of the way. You can't just try to walk them down and pressure guys if that's not actually how your style is. It, it has to fit the way you fight, and it fits the way. Paul Acosta fights. It fits his power. It fits his style. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gaslam, he's more of a. I would say he's more of a like a ring general. Like he he likes sitting in the uh, middle of the ring, and he doesn't like moving much. He'll stand in one spot. He he doesn't move his feet much. Like you said, he doesn't have the footwork that Paul Acosta has. He'll stand in one spot and trade with you. That that's more like he doesn't back up much and he doesn't go forward much. He might try to go forward, mm-hmm. but. It's usually not all the way to the cage, so that that's that, that's the difference. I feel like I feel like that's the difference in their styles, mm-hmm. and uh, I, Paul Cross is definitely a better uh, pressure striker, pressure fighter. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I would also, uh, if I was going to watch a pressure fight, I would also look at Prime RDA as well. That was uh, the the work Cordero did with him is is just perfect. Um, so uh, be- before we go, first of all, because I got I gotta I gotta go. Unfortunately, um, uh, thank you so much for your time. First of all, I really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, you are fighting this weekend, uh, so make sure everyone gets to check that out. It's on Bellator 243 against Mark Gardner. And uh, again, if you want to shout out your 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 sponsors, please, uh, you have the floor. All right. Um, I just wanted to uh, thank. Ideal Integrations, Mike Stratus, uh, Josh Damick from Adamic Ventures, Emery Bosman from Armina Stone, Vito Yerapuli from Scooter King, Simon Arias from Arias Agencies, Dawn and Caroline Rittenauer from YoFresh, and Bobby Steele from RJ Steele Construction. Um, also, my strength and conditioning coach, Mike Molinero from Molinero Health and Functional Training. Uh- Again, Dalton, thank you so much. Uh, I don't know if your gym is open yet, but uh, I highly recommend everyone go check out the Matt Factory Wrestling Club. If they're fully open, I don't know. But once everything does fully open, make sure you go and check them out because they're clearly producing some great fighters. And if you want to learn, go for it. Um, Before we go, everyone, again, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you check out thefightsite.com, the Patreon as well. Check out the merchandise website. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, make sure you uh, like and subscribe, uh, like this video, leave a comment. It does help us out with the YouTube algorithm. Subscribe to the channel, share it with your friends. Check us out on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher. We're there. Leave a five-star rating. Uh, Dalton, once again, thank you so much for joining me. I really do appreciate it. It was great talking to you, and I'm really looking forward to your next fight. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.